When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we've got a great show for you. We're going to be featuring Mr. Jim Rogers, who's an American businessman, investor, and author. And the reason why we're bringing him to your attention tonight is because he's got a consistent track record of accurately predicting trends in the financial and global markets. And he's been doing it for so long and been very successful at it. And he also has written two really great books. And he doesn't hesitate to share his knowledge with people. He wants people to succeed. And he happens to be a very nice man as well. And we have friends that are in the media. And the people that we know in the media have so many good things to say about Mr. Rogers. They say if he's not giving great advice, he's carrying himself with great professionalism. And he's very nice. And again, nice. Nice, successful, and willing to offer great advice. So, without further ado, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents a forensic soul analysis on Mr. Jim Rogers. Our guest today is international investor and best-selling author, Mr. Jim Rogers. Mr. Rogers, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Ryan. Good morning. Good after- I guess it's good evening there. Good afternoon. Jim, the reason why we wanted to bring you to the attention of our listeners is because not only are you a very successful investor, but you've also attained a lot of incredible life experiences, and you seem to have a zest and excitement for life that even people who are very successful don't even have. One of your greatest trips was that you took a motorcycle and you drove through China. Can you please tell me about why you have such a passion and a zest for life and why you continue to seek out experiences when you could easily just be sitting on your laurels and kind of living a very comfortable lifestyle? Well, maybe it's a defective gene, Ryan. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, I grew up in a very small town in the backwoods of Alabama and, and, Maybe that's what it is. If you grow up in a place like that, you either probably never leave or you want to see it all. And I, for some reason, got the defective gene that I wanted to see it all and experience it all. Okay. And what was the biggest factor in your determination to become very successful? Because when you read this great book, one of your earlier books called The Gift to My Children, A Father's Lessons for Life and Investing, you talked about how at a very young age you, you were, had an entrepreneurial spirit. 
Was that something that came natural to you, or was there a particular event or person that influenced you? Uh, I guess it's because I grew up poor. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't have much money back there in that part of Alabama, and uh, I wanted to buy my freedom. I realized that if I were going to be a completely free person, I'd have to make some money. You know, the, if you're a mystic, I guess you don't need much money or a poet or something. But in most, for most of us, to be a completely free person, to do whatever you want, you have to have a little, little bit of money. And so I wanted to have some money so I could do whatever I wanted to. I, didn't, I wouldn't have to be nice to people I didn't want to be nice to. <laughs> and and the, the rest is history, I guess. Well, going a little bit more before, the, before history occurred, what was the particular skill set that you were actively trying to seek out? I mean, it seems like you had a very good inclination as far as the future value of certain goods. Was there anything that uh, you, where were the where was the main focus of your skill development? That you well, when I was a, a teenager, when I was a, when I was young, I mainly just worked hard. Uh, I didn't, nobody told me to. I guess I got that from my from my parents. This ability to work hard. I noticed all my brothers have the same work ethic, if you will, which clearly came from our parents, and that's about all I knew. I just worked hard and did what I was supposed to. Uh, as I got older, once I figured out about Wall Street, I, I stumbled onto Wall Street when I was 21, just after I got out of university, and I, I realized, gosh, this is a wonderful place. Well, I brought to bear the same work ethic, but also this enormous curiosity about the world, that I was extremely interested in the world, what was going on in the world, and it all just fit perfectly. A strong work ethic, which I'd gotten from my parents as a child, and then this enormous curiosity about the world. I don't know where the curiosity came from, but whatever it was, I had it. And so I put the two together and had a little bit of success. You've had a lot of success. And how do you still maintain the curiosity? What other experiences are you seeking to attain? Well, now, the new adventure in my life... As you know, I, I drove around the world on a motorcycle for a couple of years, which was exhilarating. Then I rode around the world in a car for three years, which was also quite astonishing. But at the moment, my new adventures, I have two little girls. I never wanted to have children, Ryan. I thought children were a horrible waste of time, energy, money. <laughs> I felt sorry for people. I felt sorry for people who had children. You know, those poor saps going off ruining their lives. Well, I was completely wrong totally wrong about children. These little girls are just pure ecstasy for me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, thank goodness I did it. If there's anybody listening to this who hasn't had a child, I urge you to get home and get on with it because you can't believe how much fun it is. So what was the greatest joy about it? What was the changing moment? Like when you had the two girls, how did, how did you see the world differently having the girls prior to not having the girls? Well, I, I had emotions I didn't know I could have. I I started understanding the whole class of people out there called parents that I had no understanding of at all. I just felt sorry for them all my life. But, you know, I've cried more since these little girls came into my life, mainly out of joy, uh, than I did in my whole life. Uh, it's just being with them, watching them walk, walk down the hall is exciting and fun. And uh, I get lots of stuff out of it, Ple pure pleasure all the time. Okay, so it's really good. Now... You know, we've heard you make a lot of predictions about the future history of the United States. And from what you've said, the history of the United States, it appears that we will not be living the comfortable lifestyle that we've enjoyed several decades earlier. 
and you've taken the initiative to um, be in a different country. But for people who are in the United States who are possibly thinking about having children, is that something they should be concerned about, the idea that they may bring up their children in a reality that may not be as safe or may not have the uh, financial prosperity that previous generations once had? Well, there's no question that America's uh, things have changed. I mean, plenty of studies have shown that the standard of living is not increasing anymore for most Americans. Uh, I don't like saying that, but it happens to be true. America's now the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and the debts are going higher and higher. Every country in history that's gotten into that kind of situation has had, had problems. We, we can't deny reality. As far as whether you should have children, sure. I mean, it's still great, great joy. And even if America as a whole, I mean, it's the United Kingdom, well, Great Britain 100 years ago, was the richest, most powerful country in the world. It's been in decline relatively since then. But a lot of people are having a lot of fun in the U.K., right? A lot of people are making money. Uh, not all. Many are suffering. But on the whole, I, I still commend having children because it will be terrific. And I don't say give up on America. Just be aware that you're in a place where the wind is not at your back anymore as it was maybe 50 or 60 years ago. And Mr. Rogers, one of the things I have personally observed about your work and your media interviews is that a lot of younger people are really passionate about your work and your philosophies. And it's really, I think it's refreshing to see a lot of millennials take in and get excited about what you talk about. And are you hopeful that younger Americans or younger millennials are grasping onto some of your basic concepts? And to add on top of that, what would be the five most important pieces of advice you would give to millennials at this point that really don't have the um, a lot of the same opportunities that their parents once did in terms of easeability in the job market? Well, one of the first things that comes to mind is to learn another language. Uh, you know, and maybe in 1945, we didn't have to know too much about the rest of the world or other languages, but this is 2015. You know, this is now 70 years later, and it's, the world is becoming more and more connected, more and more international. So the first thing is to learn a, a second language. We, we, any, it doesn't really matter which one. I, we moved to Asia, so my daughters would speak Chinese, and that is work. But Spanish, any language. First of all, any language will give you an advantage when you're dealing with at least some other people. And second, it helps your mind develop so that you can earn, maybe even learn a third if you have to. So that's the first thing. Uh, another is to read as much as you can. Uh, fortunately, my little girls love to read. I, I don't know how you instill that in people. It's, it's natural in both of my kids, fortunately. But reading will teach you lots of stuff, and it's great fun if you, if you like reading. I would certainly urge you to Finish school, do well in school if you can. Doing well in school will not make you successful in life, but it gives you more options perhaps than if you don't do well in school. Ryan, there are plenty of people, as you know, who don't do well in school who do extremely well in life. So I'm not holding out that you got to do well in school, just that it gives you more advantages and it might open some doors and some knowledge you didn't have before. Uh, I would certainly urge everybody to see as much as they can of the world I, when I was young, I, I 
I used to hitchhike. <laughs> I look back on it, believe it or not, I used to hitchhike around some parts of the U.S. And when I got to, I studied abroad for a couple of years, and I, I didn't have any money. Never had any money, but I would hitchhike, you know, all over Europe because uh, I was dying to see see the world and see what was going on. And that helped give me perspective, insight, and knowledge that I would not have had otherwise. Um, did I say, oh, I guess the fifth thing I would say is be sure to have kids. Don't don't miss that. Don't do it young. Uh, I came to children very late in life, which is better for me. I'd had children when I was 20 or 30. It would have been a disaster for the mother, for me, for the children. Uh, but don't don't miss it because, you can, as I said earlier in the show, you cannot believe how much fun it is, how enriching it is, and how it teach you teach you about yourself, teach you about the world as well. Well, on that being said, what did your teach what did your children teach you about you? <laughs> they teach me about yeah. computers and telephones. You know, my, my seven year old is astonishing. Uh, she doesn't even have a phone, but she grabs her mother's or mine and she's taught herself all sorts of stuff. She doesn't have a proper computer yet, but she has learned all sorts of things about using computers, so if nothing else, your your children will keep you up to date on technology and new things that come down the road. Sometimes when you're older, you're set in your ways and you don't really learn as much about new things as you should. But if you have children, I assure you, they will know and they will keep you involved. Uh, and to repeat what I said before, I, you know, I have emotions, I have joy deep joy and, and just ecstasy that I've never had before in my life. I have emotions I didn't know I could have that are evoked by these little girls, whether it's not so much pain, because they don't really cause me pain. It's, it's, it's mainly joy. Uh, of course, if something goes wrong for them, I feel it deeper than they do. One time, my little girl, my older, was getting a shot, and I started crying before she got the shot, and she looked at me like, why are you crying? And she took the shot, didn't cry, didn't hurt her at all. I was crying for her because I'd seen her cry before when she had shots. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about children, but it is astonishing, astonishing experience. Yeah. You know, I want to bring something back you said earlier, one of the five points. You said that you wanted kids to stay in school. Now, if you look at some of the systems, especially the American education system, and you look at what they're teaching or some of the lessons that they're emphasizing, there are people out there that would not want to expose their children to this because they feel it is, an, it is indoctrination or that they are putting a lot of their time, energy, resources into lessons, into ideals that are not going to help make them competitive. I mean, sometimes a lot of these schools or what they're doing right now in little league sports is that they don't have a winner or a loser. So the, the kids never get an opportunity to learn the joy of winning or the pain and suffering of, of losing. And I was wondering if there are certain lessons that you would emphasize to parents to really teach their kids at home at an early age that can kind of counteract or counterbalance some of the lessons and indoctrinations that they're bound to be facing in the public school system of today. Well, I concur wholeheartedly that the public school system in America is in trouble. I, I don't think I'm the only person who sees that. They spend a lot of time teaching self-esteem. Here in Asia, where my kids are, they don't teach self-esteem. You have to earn self-esteem. You have to achieve. And the workload here is astonishing. I had read about Asian education, and it's just amazing. My little girls have had more homework by the third grade 
than I had in 12 years of school in the U.S., and it's an advanced level. I probably could not help my daughter in the sixth grade now with her math because, you know, they, they don't mess around here. Uh, and if you don't uh, achieve, you, you don't achieve. You, you have to work here to, to get ahead, which is, it used to be that way in the U.S., but even when I was a kid, it's not as rigorous and demanding as it is here. So the thing that you, you have to teach children to set the, the importance of the, the value of money, I should say. You have to teach them to save, to invest. You have to teach them that uh, money doesn't grow on trees. Success doesn't grow on trees, not just money. You know, that they have to work hard if they're going to uh, achieve anything. And if you, in most areas of the world, if you save your money and invest for the future, you're going to be better off. That's something that apparently is not taught so much anymore in America. It's always a free lunch, and there are very few victims. I mean, every everybody is a victim <laughs> in America. And so, you know, if something goes wrong, it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. And so either demand demand you demand your rights, if you will. <laughs> but unfortunately, everything has become a free lunch in the United States these days. Yep. Jim, in your book, A Gift to My Children, you say there are two ways of thinking. And you say about, you know, about life and investing, one is to draw conclusions from your observations, and the other one is to proceed solely on the basic of logic. I wanted to know if there was a third aspect to that in terms of going with your gut, how, when do you know when is a right opportunity to go with your gut and supersede those two ways of thinking? Well, there are people that, that have uh, remarkable instincts. I know some people in the market who uh, really just have astonishing trading instincts, what I call trading instincts. They, they know when to buy and know when to sell. They may not know anything about what they're buying and selling. I, I worked with people like that. I wish, I wish to goodness I'd gotten that, that natural instinct. So, yes, you can go with your gut if you have the right gut. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. I have to work at it harder than those guys. But if you have that instinct, sure, do it. Wow. But but you should uh, you should you should test it a few times. Make sure you're right. <laughs> Just going with your gut and then losing losing everything will not be a good experience. I'd say I'm, I'm so surprised to hear you say that. And I want to actually lose into the next question is that based on your world experiences and the things that you've encountered. What kind of pattern and rhythmic rhythm do you have for making these accurate predictions on investing? Because you've done it for so well for so long, and how what what the, what is your methodology for doing it? What is your bare bones methodology? Not not that maybe the secrets, but some of the some of the foundations for how you're able to accurately make investments that that pay off big time. Well, I guess in my case, it's just a a, a lot of fascination with the world around me and I have developed or inherited or something, the ability to observe what I'm seeing. You know, if you just walk down the street and see the sun is out and have a good time and whistle along the way, that's fine. But I, for whatever reason, have developed the ability as I go down the street to see, ah, you see what's happening over there? That probably has some significance. And I should experience that significance. I mean, if you walk down the street and you see a long line in front of a store, go figure out why they're there and then figure out the implications. Ah, whatever that product is or whatever that company is, 
is going may have a good future. And so develop it. Don't just say, ah, there's another line. I don't want to get in that line or who cares, whatever. Pursue what is going on around you. I certainly miss many things, but over the years I have been able to pick up some things that give me a, an indication of the future. And, and, and going around the world, I certainly experienced that a lot of times. So you're saying that by, um, I mean, there was one actually one of your chapters in your book saying, don't read books, see the world. So do you feel that by all of your worldly experiences, by taking as many experiences as possible, that will ultimately open your perception to predicting, engaging future events and uh, things that are happening in the market? Well, there's no question about that. Okay. Experiencing life is better than reading about life. And reading about life is also better than doing nothing except sitting around just uh, going along oblivious yep. to what's going on around you. One of your um, interesting, I find one of your more interesting predictions is that you say that farmers of today will be driving Lamborghinis for tomorrow, so become friends with farmers and work in farming. So, if you are an individual who does not want to work in the field, does not want to toil in the farmland, how do you um, get involved in farming if you don't want to do the, the hard labor? Well, there are lots of ways to get involved. If if the farmers are going to have the money, then you could open, if you like cooking, open a restaurant in the farm area. Uh, if you like selling, open a shop. You can, you can, you can go into the seed business or the uh, tractor business or the fertilizer business uh, or lake houses. Buy lake houses in the agricultural area instead of areas that are not going to be so, so prosperous. You can participate by following your own love and passions because the farmers, when the agricultural areas have a lot of money, it's going to be a lot easier for you to do anything in those areas, including having radio shows, than it is in other areas where people are not so prosperous. Okay. And of all the books that you've read over the course of your life, what were the three books that stood out in your mind as being the most influential and the, the most life-changing for you? Oh, I don't have an answer for that. I've, I've read so many things over the course of my life. I mean, certainly in the investment world, there was a company, a book called The Money Game, I read long ago, and there was security analysis that I read long ago. But, you know, I, I've read so much, and, and people often say to me, well, tell me which book of history to read or which book of philosophy or whatever. And I don't have an answer because whatever's happened in my brain is the compilation of just everything I've read, observed, and seen. Uh, you, I teach my, try to teach my children that if you just read one newspaper or one TV, you're not going to get it. Uh, you have to read uh, lots of newspapers or watch lots of shows because that's the only way you're going to be able to pull it all together and synthesize because each newspaper has its own view. But if you read several newspapers, suddenly, eventually, it'll all go into your brain, it'll evolve, and something will come out saying, aha, this is the answer. Uh, and has faith or religion or spirituality ever been a factor in your life or um, swayed you or helped you kind of progress in any capacity? Well, I, I certainly grew up. I grew up in the Episcopal Church uh, long ago, and I was pretty steadfast. My, my father certainly was as well, and my, my siblings, my brothers. That was something we got from our, our, our parents, but especially from my father and my grandparents too. 
to some extent. Uh, yes, it's, it's given me, uh, the, first of all, the, the confidence in, in bad times to just keep trying to keep to keep going. I've also learned in my travels around the world that everybody needs, or throughout history, people have needed some kind of spiritual dimension, uh, rightly or wrongly. I mean, there have been many, many kinds of religions throughout history, as you know. They can't all have been right, obviously, but uh, it is a, a deep need which human beings have. Mr. Jim Rogers, international investor, best-selling author. It was truly an honor to have you on our show today and to speak with you. And you can learn more about Mr. Rogers by going to his website and also go to Amazon and pick up his books. He's got some really great books. One of them is called Street Smarts, Adventures on the Road and in the Markets. And he's got this really great book called The Gift to My Children, A Father's Lesson for Life and Investing. I've read it so many times. And uh, Mr. Rogers, truly an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Oh, Ron, it's been my delight. You're, you're good at this. Let's do it again sometime. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium and healer, Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Jim Rogers? I like Mr. Rogers' energy. Jim Rogers is a guy who is born under the sun, and I've, we were just talking before the show how your guests are forerunner energies, and it doesn't surprise me, Brian, because this is a forerunner show where you are bringing people to the edge and helping them take that next step. So Jim's energy helps people go right to the edge and then to not be afraid to take that next step anywhere in their life, Right. He helps them, he guides them, and he's, he's fearless. He's got this energetic sword out in front of him, and when he just makes his mind up and he gathers up all the facts, he creates a pathway for himself, and he runs in at first where a lot of times people will have other people run out in front of them. They'll have the um, people test it, and they won't take risks. But Jim is very much a um, – he backs himself up. Put himself out there. Now, do you – Get any inclination about what any of his past lives may have been? I saw him right before you said that, and I love that because I wait right until you ask me that question. I get pulled over. It's interesting he's living in Singapore because I'm seeing him as a banker, and it looks like he had a very big position of power in that it was definitely around money and banking and even could have been the um, the government's um, – number one man to go to as far as money, especially during the teams, uh, time of change, because I'm seeing like a collapse of money, and then he was a huge part of the history of ma- rebuilding our the society. So he's, he definitely has done this before in the past as far as looking at money differently and being able to encourage people, especially when money's going through major shifts. Like okay. So what is it about what period of time you was that was that lifetime you were describing, and you said was he he was in Singapore? Yeah, he was in the Singapore or that area over in Asia. And right when you said what time, I saw 400 to 450 BC. So I don't know any Asian history, but I'll have to look it up after we hang up. Okay, and it's as change like in dynasty is, is what it was, and it affected it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and he helped people, especially those that really collapsed or fell on their face, and he also rose people up that were like peasants and he encouraged them to be like businessmen. So he he helped on both ends of the spectrum, you could say. 
what were the life lessons that he was destined to learn in that last life? And what are some of the life lessons that he's here to learn in this lifetime? In that lifetime, I saw that he was kind of pulling his hair out because he didn't understand if he gave people the information and the knowledge. It's like the saying, teach people to fish instead of fishing for them. So he definitely taught people to fish so they could be empowered themselves. He didn't get it when people wouldn't do it, when people hand over their power and want somebody to do it, to do it for him. And it's a similar energy in this lifetime. He creates the keys. He hands them out. They come from his heart. There's no agenda. And so when he gives people empowering news and people don't want to take it, you know, not that they have to take his word, but just take his tools and to be able to work it for himself, he scratches his head and just says, I, I don't understand that. I'm giving them, uh, I'm teaching them to fish where this could affect every single aspect of their life. So there's a similar pattern in that lifetime and in this lifetime. And that happens a lot. Okay. And he's got two daughters that he had relatively late in life. I think that they're they, they may be a little under ten years old. Oh, wow. Is there any way to focus on their energy mm. to figure out what his relationship with his children in this lifetime may have been in any of his previous lifetimes, or is there a possibility that his children in this lifetime? is the first time that uh, Mr. Rogers and children are actually meeting or evolving together as common spirits. When I, They've definitely been together before. When I look at his two children, they're very different. It's like a yin-yang sign, so their girls come in as very opposite, but just like the yin-yang sign, they really balance each other. Then with the question as far as if they had lifetimes before, the second one in particular was around when um, – when he the Singapore lifetime we're talking about, and she he was behind her, so it was the wife position, or um, or <clears throat> yeah, it was the wife's position, and that happens a lot. Some people think, oh my God, the daughter into the wife, but um, I understand though because when I'm scanning through his uh, Akashic records, he's done many lifetimes where he either has had children late in life or he has not had physical children because he spent many many lifetimes. Uh, considering humanity his children in a way, or te again, teaching people. He's got that teacher energy that, um, that he loves to use and, again, empower people. And so you could, he, he nurtured people. So he, didn't, he spent lifetimes where he doesn't, didn't have the physical children because he was able to um, teach more people that way. And I, there was a time when he could have felt that um, children can weigh him down, too. He's like, he wanted to be totally there and present when he had children. And that's what he did. He's very aware of, um, he doesn't do things halfway, Ryan, you know, and that includes having children. He wants to be there very present for them. He thinks that they're the greatest gifts. He thinks that they're very good teachers. He is very present when we could be there physically, but we're not there. We're off in our mental mind thinking, oh, I've got to do this tomorrow. I've got to, you know, clean the house, do this, go shopping. And the kids pick that up. He's a, he's a very present dad. It's beautiful. If we have this massive, I'll call it not so much a class, but an economic shift, or, or you know where you know our, the system itself is pretty shaken up. What role do you think he'll have in a reality or a post-dollar uh, paradigm? Do you think that he could actually be potentially a uh, political leader for, of a nation? Yeah, I, you know it's interesting. Right before you finish the question, I saw the image of him. Like kind of being symbolically Moses, helping people out of the desert. So he will take the role of where people could feel the desert dry, destitute, that kind of thing, and he gives them, again, encouragement. He helps them find the, the 
the land of um, milk and honey, so it went during a time of great shift, he directs them in a way of being able to um, not look at the current circumstances and, and really take one step in front of the other to be able to see abundance and rebuild abundance, even though their present circumstances might be very arid and dry, right? So he's a sign of hope. Where do you see Jim Rogers' next life coming in? Do you think he'll have another earthbound life, or is he moving on to another existence beyond this one? Right now, when I see him looking at the earth, he might skip out a couple years. It looks like he sits in his gold throne, and that's where the, he could explore the different dimensions. And then it, then I, all of a sudden it looks like he turns around. So he might not come back for a good 500 years, 300 to 500 years. To us, linear, that sounds like a long time, but over in spirit world, it's no time at all. And when he comes in, there already looks like the blueprint, uh, come, um, there's already thriving energy. So he's coming in this life, next lifetime as where he spent many times building it up. He's going to get the fruits of the labor is what it ends up being um, next lifetime. Okay. Miss Terry O'Connor, thank you for your in-depth and thorough analysis on Mr. Jim Rogers. And to learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Thank Yo, you. Thank you. Joining us now is the Angel Reader, globally respected psychic comedian and past life reader, Miss Laura Lynn. To learn more about Miss Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about Mr. Jim Rogers? Well, Mr. Rogers was nice and very interesting to hear. I really, he, he felt refreshing, very adventurous. And I, I think that it's pretty obvious if you hear, once you hear his message, it came out really loud and clear what, what happened to him was that he did live a life of slavery. And, uh, you know, he's talking about buying his freedom now. You know, everything's about freedom. He's talking about riding the the motorcycle around the world and having, you know, it's basically the wind is hitting your face. You can go wherever you want where, you know, you're absolutely are bound when you, you are under a life of slavery. You don't have those options. And, uh, you know, I feel like he was a very intelligent soul. Always. He always had this high intellect and sense of adventure. And, you know, with that life before it would have been, you know, very, very traumatic, experience and i also had a a vision about his children being taken away which that to him would have been so devastating and might you know be why he was really hesitant not to have children in this lifetime when did, at first what era what, when did you see his children being taken away that would have been during the the 1800s uh during the slavery he he did have so, uh several children taken away he never really got to meet his children so it was just, you know, it's just devastating to him. You know, he's saying around the 1800s, but then he was born in the 1900s. Do you think that's a little unusual for a soul to come back to experience? No, I didn't say. I didn't say he was born around 1900. Well, did I'm, you hear that? No, I'm saying that, that for his, this current lifetime that he has right now, he's oh, oh, yeah, he's, okay. he's 72 years old, and you're mm-hmm. describing him being alive around the time of the slavery. Now, sure, between that sure. two periods, I mean, you're looking at 100, maybe 150 years at best. To stretch it out. So when we discuss, we talk about people, the, the common trend seems to be that they wait a, a longer period of time. But according to um, this observation, it seems that he came 
for another lifetime relatively quickly. And I was wondering if you can elaborate right. more on to why he came back so fast. No, yes, I. You know, that's a really cool question. And basically what I capture from that is usually about 100 years is the rule of thumb that I've noticed uh, when I'm tapping into people about about a, about a century in between. However, there are times when souls can come rapidly back, and there's a there's an interesting new story about that. There was a young man that was just young boy that was just on TV not too long ago that was experienced a lifetime of a African American woman. She, he was telling the name of her and how she died, and you know gave very very strong detail. Um, information about this and I believe the child is only about six years old there's no way he would have known all this and uh, they did some research and she did die about a decade earlier so I mean there's no rule but there is certainly it's usually about a hundred years lapse okay. in between so lifetimes. So you're saying that Jim um, Mr. The, the soul of Jim Rogers who's become the in this lifetime was a person in a previous life incarnation that was a slave Yes, and I also had a you know strong in- inclination of a past, probably maybe hundred years before that, of uh, living in Asia and being very strong, articulate. It, it feels like the both the, the the frequencies that I was picking up was masculine. So you know I didn't I didn't pick up any feminine lifetimes or any lifetimes when he was female. Uh, uh, which I'm sure he probably had some, but it's certainly not coming through what I was picking up on the soul source now. Um, what was the purpose of his last two lifetimes? What were his soul lessons for him to learn the last two lifetimes? And what has been his evolutionary or higher self's goal to come back for this lifetime? Well, when I the lifetime where I was picking up in Asia, the, the there was a huge strength that he had, strong articulation skills, communication skills i feel like there was probable writing and i feel like he was able to travel quite a bit during during that uh particular course of life and so he was given opportunities and i believe his soul came back and said i want to feel what what it's like to be restricted you know i want to know what that whole essence is about what what the human feels like when they're when they can't move forward when they don't have a choice and then what happened was he was given that a lot in life and that lot in life and uh, you know became became enslaved. Okay. And now through that process, he was able to learn about the restrictions and what you know the detrimental circumstances that people live in that that are forced to live in smaller shacks basically or or uh not have the the comforts in life and have to toil work for you know their food and their 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 sole existence and with that he was able to emphasize that his life purpose is to feel and to explore and that's what he came back to do this lifetime and, you know, what I feel like happened through that engagement of in slavery is that it basically forced him to become highly intuitive because he had to watch his back. He had to watch it or else something terrible would happen. So he his senses were became so keen and he was very clever. He was very intelligent. So he his through that resilience and that strength of that 
that he endured through that lifetime for really being pretty rather brilliant he was able to live all the way to the point where he actually was given his freedom he he became the age where he could be free and uh you know i feel like he really maneuvered this life um orchestrated it even to a place that would when he did earn that freedom he the his whole expression or his whole life changed so significantly that he really went into that whole soul capacity of, of feeling what intense joy is about and i feel like he ran and ran and ran afterwards after he was free he ran and i'm basically meaning that he went from place to place throughout the united states he journeyed as much as he could for for uh for for the rest of his life and what with that what i'm picking up is that intuition that he picked up during that lifetime because he needed that intuition is what he brought into this lifetime now he's very keen he can pick up on the subtle subtleties around the environment around the world he can pick up these subtleties that are happening and he he knows how to invest and to to find that growth in that Miss Laura Lynn, thank you so much for your great and thorough and in-depth analysis, uh, Mr. Jim Rogers. And to learn more about Miss Laura Lynn and to get a reading with Miss Laura Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. Have a beautiful day. You too. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Tellis. You can learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constantstellis.com. Miss Stellis, what can you tell us about Mr. Jim Rogers? Well, Mr. Rogers, uh, like many people who have um, made a great deal of success in one area, I've found that when a chart is very concentrated, in one sign or the other, and it doesn't necessarily have, in fact, it is not the same sign. It shows a focus where certain things are of interest and then other things are not. And many people don't have that focus, so they scatter their energies. But people who have concentrated charts um, are very um, uh, direct. In the case of Mr. Rogers, the concentration of planets is in the uh, sign of Libra. Libra being the pivot of the zodiac between the personal signs and the less personal signs. Uh, also, interestingly enough, if you think about Libra, uh, the scales are the symbol. The scales is the symbol for Libra, and it is the only symbol in the entire zodiac that is inanimate so it doesn't mean that Librans are not animate or not human but they have a perspective of looking back and being able to assess to judge to um, compile information in a very objective way and see all sides of a situation uh, quite dispassionately uh, in person, and also Libra is the sign of relationships, and Librans are devoted to relationships. But in the case of Mr. Rogers, because um, we know that he's been tremendously successful in terms of business, um, he has two great assets. 
One is his air presence, air like the element air in Libra, that catches trends. I mean, and he may not even be aware of how he processes this information because it's uh, quite intuitive. And that is supported by his moon sign, which is um, in Pisces. So you have a, a tremendously intuitive person, also a compassionate and feeling person, and his ability to, to go to the heart of things uh, in terms of his investments is, is, is his gift, you know. He just, he just has it. Uh, you mentioned commodities. It's interesting that Pisces uh, has an affinity with um, many commodities, with oil, with um, um, natural gas, um, also with pharmaceuticals. So I don't know exactly what his investments were, but he, he, he kind of covers the waterfront in terms of his uh, abilities. He also has a... a um, um, I, I spoke about this before, uh, this ability to catch things from the air and, and make use of them. Uh, he's an incredibly fair-minded person and very romantic. I don't know what his uh, personal <laughs> life is like, but... Uh, no, it's funny. It's great. Okay. Um, and uh, also quite artistic. Um, so he wouldn't be a professional artist, but he has a, a great sense of design and color and all sorts of things. And um, because you mentioned that he's, he's forecasted many trends and that he's not optimistic about the future of, uh, of America, I think that um, there's two things in his chart that would reveal that. His sense of fairness uh, is, is very highly Tuned, meaning that uh, he, he's not. Uh, uh, it's, it's fine with him that he's made a lot of money, but he's very mindful of the people who haven't, or who don't, or who uh, are not able, and um, feels that uh, they they need some kind of support. Although he's not in the business of giving out money, and he has a very strong patriotic love of America and takes it personally that the country is not going in what he would call the right direction. Um, and um, so you, you told me, and I think it fits with his chart, that he left the country and um, is going where uh, things are more happening and more uh, are clearer. Uh, and you mentioned he's in the Far East. Um, China, as a country, is ruled by Libra. And uh, that seems to fit with his um, with his profile. Um, the other thing that strikes me about his chart is that his nodes, the nodes of the moon, which are not planets, um, are uh, very much involved with discernment. In other words, making um, very accurate and specific observations about information rather than taking anything or everything on faith. So this speaks to someone who in past lives was very much a follower and uh, wanted to, to find something or was involved with something to believe in, a religion, a cult, uh, a, a, I don't know, 
different different kind of um, uh, organization of human society, but with a spiritual leaning. And that this time around in his life, he uh, is developing or has developed the ability to make logical um, and mental and qualitative judgments on on his activities. So no blind faith, and that he is called to do that this uh, this time around to um, help him learn this ability to um, use his brain rather than his um, uh, intuitions. So he's got that backlog of intuitions and faith, and now he's kind of pinpointing exactly how it can be uh, useful. Okay. Is there anything... Let me say it this way. Jim has been known as a visionary as far as being able to predict where certain things will go or certain things will change mm-hmm. in a particular market. Is there any qualities or characteristics that Jim has within his chart that you've noticed or acknowledged or recognized in other people's charts who have a similar type perception to be able to foresee how events and things will play out? Sure. Well, as I said in the beginning, it's the concentration in one sign. And the way he does it is he catches things from the air. So he doesn't sit down with a pad and pencil and figure out, you know, graphs and statistics and whatever. He kind of looks through the newspaper or listens uh, on the Internet or kind of talks to people. That's a big part of it. And he kind of comes up with a synthesis and says, oh, I think this is how it's going to happen. And because he is a communicator, and he's written books, yes. right? Yes, very great, great yeah. books. So, so, so he's written books that are very um, um, uh, intuitive and also analytical at the same time. Uh, so how he does it is um, catch as catch can. In other words, I don't know if he could tell you exactly how he came up with these things. And it doesn't mean that he's he's channeling them or he's um, being flip about them. It just kind of comes to him. And we all have this capability, perhaps not to make investments and make a, a fortune, but it's the, the ability to kind of follow uh, hunches and um, um, catch the movement in the world and how it will be beneficial for for him, for his family, for whomever. Um, and in addition to the Libra, that is also depicted by um, Saturn and Uranus being very close together in Gemini. So he knows a lot. I'm sure. Did he study business? Yes. Was he in business? Yes, he yeah. So he he's done the kind of brain work, but then he leaps. And these leaps uh, are what give him kind of the inside information as to where trends are, are going. He literally catches it from the air, from the wind, which way the wind is blowing. That's how he does it. Miss Constance Sellis, that was a great and uh, in-depth analysis on Mr. Jim Rogers. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Constance Sellis, please go to her website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Sellis. My pleasure. Be well. Enjoy the spring. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. We can learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, 
What can you tell us about Mr. Jim Rogers? Hey, Ryan. Well, for, I'm going to say first, right up front, is that I am going to apologize to all our listeners if I sound out of whack or <laughs> I think the sun's gotten to my head. <laughs> so I'm a little bit burnt out. So if I sound a little bit off, that's, you that's why. wonderful. <laughs> fried a few brain cells today, I think, in the sun. Um, Mr. Rogers, you know, when I first started hearing him talk in your interview, the most immediate thing I got hit with, I, I said to myself, I go, I know him. He's very familiar energy. Of course, I don't know him, but very, very familiar energy. And I found it very interesting. I'll get into it in, uh, shortly. Um, I find him to be extremely humble. And this is the, one of the number one things I absolutely adore about Mr. Rogers. He hasn't forgotten where he's come from. And what's even more admirable is that he is, in fact, passing this knowledge and wisdom on to his children. You know, they, so they know the value of hard work, they know the value of money, and they know the value of life in general. So he's, he is an amazing, amazing spirit. Um, I also pick up he's probably really fun to be around. I'm, I'm, I bet you if he's in a room full of people there, I bet you he's always got them laughing. He's just got that contagious smile I've been seeing in, my, in the back of my mind, this contagious smile and contagious giggling. Um, this now leads me, actually, um, I have noticed that over the course of our shows, it seems to me that, well, for my guides, they seem to want to get to the core of things. For example, where does this come from? Where does that come from? Where, where does this behavior come from? So this is what I've done again with Mr. Rogers. And I was shown um, a mishmash of, of different past lives. Um, now, it, I was shown, like these are just flashes. Um, the One past life, he's got very, very strong ties to Ireland. So there's one connection with me when I said familiar energy because I'm Irish to the core. In, in this lifetime, I'm Irish to the core. Um, and in that past life, I believe it's this, the 1700s, I find it very interesting to decide what, what came first, whether he was a carpenter and then a shoemaker or vice versa. But he did both in this, pa in this past life in, in Ireland. And what I find very interesting is I was actually given two specific cities or towns in Southern Ireland, uh, Dublin and Limerick. And I say Limerick with emphasis because that's where my uh, heritage is from as well. So I found that really interesting. It's pretty cool for me. Um, and then I was shown, he was born around in the 1860s this lifetime. And I see him as being actively involved in the Yukon Gold Rush and as a, as a prospector or a miner. Now, this is where one of the lifetimes where he gained the ability, as he calls it, like a strange ability to see what's going on, uh, to survey the land, see what's, to see what's happening. Um, it makes a, a lot of sense if you think about the prospecting and, and the mining. But he was quite active in the, in the Yukon Gold Rush. Um, and then, uh, the other one that I was shown, and this one here, I told you before we got on the air, 
I was a bit skeptical of. Skeptical, Lisa. You know, yeah. You know me. I'm curious. About <laughs> um, so it was in the 1500s. And in this lifetime, he was an advisor to the currently reigning king, which would have been in, in the 1500s. I, that's Henry VIII. Um, so he was an advisor, like for, uh, you know, like warring against countries, conquering. So he would say something like, of course, I'm not back back then. I don't know what he'd say literally, but, oh, look at this country. They're doing so well. Oh, they have this or, oh, they have that. Uh, we want this. Let's go for that. He was advising. Now, I tried to do my analytics to figure out who, because if we talk about Henry VIII, then you know there's only so many advisors that he had. So there are two names that I have come up with to try to, and I'm try, I was trying so hard today to try to differentiate between the two, but unfortunately I can't. All I know is that he was one of the two people. Um, this, is, this is a big one. So he was either Thomas More or Thomas Boleyn. And if it's Thomas Boleyn, um, it would really make a lot of sense to me with the quote-unquote familiar energy that I mentioned a few minutes ago because I have ties to the Boleyns in this lifetime. Um, Now, having said that, once again, this is where, once again, he gained this ability to, to see to to watch things to see how things are going and where to go what to do um so he took those two lifetimes that i mentioned he brought all of that knowledge on with him into this lifetime now there is one thing here um he had mentioned in his interview that for many many years he was you know against children not against children but um, felt sorry for parents of children and didn't really want any. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's because uh, he lost children himself. In these, in, I believe it is this past life uh, in the 1500s. Were you actually able to communicate with his spirit guides? And if so, um, do you get any um, information from his from his guides in this lifetime? Like, by the way, how did his guides react to this idea that we were going to be working in, on him and uh, exploring his spirit? Um, I wasn't really um, connecting with his spirit guides, but it's interesting that you mentioned spirit guides because I, it's not necessarily a spirit guide that I'd felt around him. I think, like, I, I'm picking up a fatherly energy, and I keep hearing. Um, Senior, so I'm I'm wondering if his father had the same name as as Jim, like Jim Rogers. So if, I think Mr. Rogers is a, is a junior, Jim Junior, and I believe that the who I was picking up on was his father, Jim Senior. Um, I don't know if that's actually 100% true, um, but that's what I'm hearing. But he's around him constantly, all the time. And Do you think there's father-like figures around him all the time? Oh, yes. Oh, constantly. And the thing is, it's because his father is so extremely proud of him and all that he's done in his life and okay. what he is you're, trying you're, to teach others. You ready for this? We just, we just verified. We looked it up. He is a junior. 
He is a junior. Yep. <laughs> oh, well. Well, there we go. <laughs> so senior is around him all the time. All the time. So, um, but as far as spirit guides go, I, I I didn't really look into that because, like I said, for some reason today I needed my my job. Apparently, according to spirit, was that of finding out where his his ability had come from and his and those vows that I had mentioned. I needed to um, inform everyone about where all that came from. So, but, but yeah, his, his father is, he's just, um, I feel him actually in a spirit, like, like he's so emotional, so proud, like where he's, he wasn't a man of, of showing emotion. He was quite the hardened man, but he feels close to tears. That's how proud he is of his son. Oh, wow. That's really Yeah. And so, and he follows him everywhere, everywhere he goes, he's there. That's well. How that's, about that? that? How about uh, that? That's nice to have like a, a very celestial, you know, stalker. Oh, yeah. Most people followed by people they didn't want to deal with. Like, nice. <laughs> and oh, I was just actually um, uh, throwing something here. I'm pretty sure that it is from his father. Um, he actually. Now this is funny. This is a funny one because I've never had this before. I don't know how we're going to do this. I'm just going to blurt it out. But he yeah. actually has, okay, he has a question for his son. Okay. So I don't know if we can get this across or sure, what. Sure, put it out. Okay. Um, he goes, okay, hold on. If Okay, so he goes, so what's, what is the real truth? Um, is it success isn't how much money you have, but it's about what all that you've done in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that, but, it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. I I know, I, I know that there, there's something very significant about what you said. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And as a matter of fact, I actually think that I'm pretty certain that Jim's actually written about that in his book. And I've never read any of his books, so. But um, but he's he's wanting to he want he wants Jim to confirm whether that's truth or not. Okay. That's that's why it's a question. So I I don't know I'm just I'm just don't shoot the messenger. No, you're, you're letting it fall. <laughs> well, Miss Lisa Kaja, that was a real great, very thorough analysis on uh, Jim Rogers. I thought what you said it was very fascinating. So uh, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Lisa Kaja, please go to her website at lisakaja.com, and you can go there. You can learn more about her, get a reading with her, and if you're a Fortune 500 CEO. You can contact Ms. Kaza or any of our other great virtues. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. Okay, everyone. That concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our great guest, Mr. Jim Rogers. Special thanks to our fantastic virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Constance Dallas, and Ms. Lisa Kaza. And to learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, Please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Take good care and have an unbelievable rest of the week.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even have 